reflect on some of the ayat of Ramadan since Ramadan is right around the corner and it will be useful for us to just get some reminders from the ayat of Ramadan on what the purpose of Ramadan is, uh, what is fasting and what are some of the objectives of fasting so that we can inshallah have that clear before the month uh, approaches us inshallah. So as I mentioned before, uh, the ayat of Ramadan and fasting are primarily found in Surah Al-Baqarah. And it's not just one ayah, it's a collection of ayat, uh, four ayat from 183 all the way to 187, talking about the same topic. Okay. But before we get into the ayat, just to refresh your memory on the overall structure of Baqarah. If you remember when we did Ayat al-Kursi, we laid out the entire structure of the surah for you to get an overall context of what was happening. So uh, if we, we basically split it into, you know, these... Uh, four groups in the beginning, a middle group, and then four groups at the end. And we saw that there was a mirror uh, happening in the entire surah. So the surah started off with section A, which was about faith and disbelief. And it ended also with faith and disbelief. Uh, section B and H were mirrors of ego and greed, both talking about this, uh, the story of Adam and uh, Iblis, uh, as well as this idea of greed versus spending, remember? And then C and G are also mirrors, because both are, both are talking about laws. Laws that were given to, in the first section, to Bani Israel, and then G was laws given to the new nation of uh, the Muslims, right? And then D and F were, again, both examples of uh, tests. D were tests given to Ibrahim, السلام, whereas F was tests now that this ummah was going to be going through. And then, of course, the beautiful... Uh, turning point was section E, which was the changing of the Qibla, which resembles the middle nation. And we saw that the middle ayah also in Surah Al-Baqarah is, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطَىٰ We have made you a middle nation. And so these selection of uh, ayat that talk about fasting and Ramadan fall into which category, you can tell me? Which letter would it be? So if it's ayah number 183 to 187, which section would it be? G, G, section G, the yellow G, yeah, because it's talking about uh, law. Because if, if you notice, section G is 178 till 253, so 183 till 187 fits into the G category. And it talks about primarily the ayat of the laws given to the Muslims. So Siyam was prescribed upon us like many other laws prescribed on the Muslims. So that's where it falls into. And what's really, really interesting is that Allah when he talks in, in section C, which is a mirror of section G, when he talks about laws given to the children of Israel, the followers of Musa السلام, what is a recurring theme? A recurring theme in that whole section is the fact that Bani Israel did not follow the law as they should have. So it's spoken of in a, they're spoken of in a very negative way. And Allah keeps you know, uh, giving them one chance after another, after another, and after another. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now putting us on the spot in section G, this entire section, and He's telling us, well, now that you've learned from the stories of Bani Israel, now that you've learned how they didn't fulfill the laws that were given to them, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow the law as 
I prescribed onto you, or are you going to do the same mistake that Bani Israel did? You see? And uh, what, subhanAllah, what's so ironic is that, you know, we tend to, and the Prophet ﷺ has described this, that, you know, we and Bani Israel are like, you know, the, a pair of, uh, like, sandals. So we're, we're going to do exactly what they, they've been doing. Same mistakes they've been committing, we're going to be making the same mistakes over and over again. Except for, of course, the, the smart and the wise people who realize the message of the Qur'an. Okay? Whereas for the most part, Muslims, as you may realize, we've forgotten the objective of fasting. It has become a month of feasting. Right? Rather than uh, detoxing our bodies from the food, we're eating more food. And many people gain weight in Ramadan. Right? And the oily stuff becomes even more common during iftari and the pakoras and the samosas and everything. And same thing with like, our habits of the night. As you know, Ramadan is supposed to be a night of uh, fixing our routine and, and our you know, habits. And so, you know, even those who would sleep early during the rest of the year in Ramadan, they sleep late. They stay up awake late at night. And, um, of course, TV has, becomes a part of Ramadan. For many people, they wait for Ramadan because that's the time where the best dramas are on, whether it's Arabic dramas or Pakistani dramas or shows or whatever. And um, for many people, they spend most of Ramadan sleeping because they're awake all night and then fasting becomes too difficult and they end up sleeping. Uh, and for others, of course, it's the anticipation of Eid, the festival of Eid and the festival of shopping. So Ramadan becomes a month of deals. You get the best deals when it comes to buying a car or shopping or whatever. So um, what has happened, unfortunately, is that we have lost the spirit of Ramadan. And... Again, comparing us to what Bani Israel did, right? It's a very scary situation because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed the qibla to show us that there is now this new hope in the, in the Muslim ummah that they will hopefully learn from the mistakes, but that doesn't really happen. So it starts off with A'udhu Billahi Mishtar Rajeem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya amanu. He addresses the believers in ayah number 183 of Baqarah. O you who believe, كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ That siyam has been prescribed upon you, just, had, just as it was prescribed on the people before you, so that you may perhaps attain taqwa. Okay? Why did I put a line under لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ? Because what's going to be a recurring theme in the selection of ayat is this ending. لَعَلَّكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ in the Arabic language means so that you may perhaps... So that you may hopefully attain the objective. So you'll see each section ends with the objective of that section. So Allah is telling us what's the objective of siyam in this, in this ayah. And the objective is that we should attain this thing called taqwa. And we'll talk about what taqwa is uh, in a second. But it really sums, you can sum it up into three things. Taqwa in one sense means protection. Wiqaya in the Arabic language means to protect yourself. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. Protect yourself and your families from the fire. And so wiqaya is protection. And we'll learn later on what does what Allah mean by protection. Protection from what? The other meaning of taqwa is having this being mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Being aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all your actions. And that's what we do in Ramadan, right? While we're fasting, we're aware. We're supposed to be aware of what we're seeing. We're supposed to be aware of what we're, what we're eating and not eating. And we're supposed to be afraid of and aware of what we're saying, right? So this consciousness is also taqwa. The third meaning of taqwa is this idea of fear, right? Having this 
fear of accountability, fear that's healthy, right? Not fear that's supposed to put us down, but fear that's healthy, fear that keeps you on the right track. Just like the children should have an element of fear of upsetting their parents, just like the student has an element of fear to fail the exam, right? So that's healthy kind of fear that keeps you in check. Um, and the word siyam, psalm, right? Uh, in, the Arab, in the Quran, psalm is different than siyam. Very interesting difference, which many people don't realize. When Allah talks about siyam, it's fasting of food and drink, right? And of course, we learn from the uh, hadith that it's not just about restraining yourself from food and drink from fajr to maghrib. It's actually purifying your whole attitude, right? So you're supposed to watch your tongue, what you say, and your actions, and all of that. But psalm in the Quran is mentioned in other places, which refers to not speaking. So it's refraining from speaking, and usually it's mentioned for three days. So this was the sunnah of uh, Maryam alayhi salam, it was the sunnah of Ibrahim alayhi salam, Zakaria. And if you notice, all three of these personalities in the Quran, amazing miracles happened in their lives. After they did their psalm. Maryam alayhi salam gave birth to a son without a father. Ibrahim Aisam and Zakaria both ended up having children without being able to, right, at a very old age. So two or three miracles happened for three personalities in the Quran who did Saum. And this is something that's uh, usually not practiced. Like, well, I mean, I was talking to my mom the other day and she was telling me that my grandfather, uh, my, my dad's father, he actually practiced this. Like this was something that he used to do regularly. He wouldn't do three days, but one day. It was known in the family that today's you know, uh, Dadabu's fast day. So nobody talked to him, he's not going to talk to anybody. So it's pretty cool that some people actually practice that. And maybe it's something that we need to revive in our lives. I'm thinking of maybe doing one day this Ramadan just to try it out. Apparently, it's supposed to have miraculous impacts in our lives. The whole day. For th three days. I mean, yeah? And it's mentioned in the Quran for a reason, right? It's not just storytelling. Allah mentions home three days specifically, there must be some magic. And I was talking to uh, a nutritionist also, she said that like, if you have a sore throat, the best thing is to like, fast from talking for like, a couple of days. It heals by itself, right, instantly. But again, you're gonna be a social outcast and people are gonna think you're weird. So uh, go easy on yourself, inshallah, and maybe do one day. So that's Saum, but what is Siyam? Siyam, like we said, is fasting from food and drink and other actions. And you know, going a bit deeper about this concept of fasting, siyam, right? Usually human beings, we get our energy from what throughout the day? From food, right? And so during fasting, during the month of Ramadan, what Allah subhanahu is supposed to instill in us is this idea that, because many people have this false idea in their mind that if I don't eat, I don't have energy. And if I fast, then I'm weak. And if I'm fast, then, you know, I'm going to be sleeping all day because I'm fasting. And then after I break my fast, then I have energy. But it's supposed to be the opposite, right? When we uh, fast, we're supposed to be even more energetic, okay? And the way to understand that is my teacher explained it this way. He said, you know, when we eat, we get nutrients and everything from the food that goes in our blood, right? So it takes time for the food to digest and then it goes into our blood, and then we get the energy. So it's a slow process. Um, very similar to when you have a patient who is dehydrated, right? What do we do to the patient? Do we give them food? No. We put them on the bed, and we 
basically put that IV in him, right, or her. It's called intravenous, I think, or something. And it, what it does is it feeds the glucose directly into the blood. So it's a faster way to give nutrition. And so similarly with fasting, what we're actually doing is we're, we're supposed to get energy directly from the source, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so through our fasting and through our salah and through our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're supposed to feel that energy throughout the day, even when we're fasting. And, you know, I have a couple of friends who are into sports, like triathletes. And, you know, triathlon is a pretty intense sport. One of my friends, he's very good in jogging, which is one of the three sports, right? Run, swim, and jog, uh, or swim, bike, and run, yeah? So in the running part, my friend broke his, like his personal best record is while fasting. And, I, and one of my teachers, whenever he does presentations, like seminars, four or five hour long seminars, he fasts because he gets more energy. So it's, it's actually a mindset shift, right? Where, inshallah, when we go into Ramadan, we have to go in with a positive attitude. That Listen, Ramadan is the month where I'm going to be getting my full energy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly without the need of food. And uh, wallahi, I've tried this. It works wonders, right? But if you have a negative mindset and you go into Ramadan saying like, oh, I'm not going to have my coffee, I'm not going to have my tea, I'm going to be tired, then guess what? Your body is going to respond to that and you will be tired and you will be uh, you know, miserable throughout the day with headaches and stuff. Why? Because you started off with a negative mindset, right? So start off with a positive mindset, inshallah. So... It has been prescribed, and of course, from here we're getting the hint that it was also a tradition of the previous nations, that they used to fast also. This is not something that Muslims do only. Even the previous nations, like Allah says, كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ Just says that it was written for those who came before you, which means the pre past nations also fasted. Did they do it exactly like we do it? No, maybe not. Right? Allahu alam how they did it. But the idea was it's a continuous process. And you know, this, again, reminds us of the idea that Islam is not just a religion for the followers of Muhammad This was something that every single prophet from Adam السلام, all the way to Rasulullah all these prophets came with the message of Islam. They came with that message of peace. And so all of those followers, the genuine followers of those prophets were the Muslims of that time. And they continued these same traditions, fasting, praying. This was very common among all the followers of the and I'm talking about original followers of the prophets of the past. And one of the most, my favorite, uh, you know, uh, explanations from the Prophet of this concept is the Prophet describes all the prophets as uh, prophets who came with a message and they built this amazing structure. And every prophet represents a brick. And as we know, more than 120,000 prophets were sent to different nations, different times, different places. Every prophet represents a brick. And the entire structure was complete. There was just one brick missing and Rasulullah came in to fill that last brick. Which gives you this uh, you know, perspective that you know, Islam was what was taught even in the past. So let us not think of ourselves as a different nation. Right? Let us not have that ego of being better than other religions. Because most of these religions originally they were all Islam. Okay? And of course we are also reminded in the Quran that we were you know, people who were supposed to follow the Milla of Ibrahim, the, 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 were the followers of Ibrahim السلام, which was the, uh, who was the father of Tawheed and the father of monotheism. So Jews, Christians of the followers of Musa السلام, followers of Isa they're all, all Muslims who 
continued with the same tradition of fasting. That's what we're learning here. So this next section talks about Shahru Ramadan. Very interesting. So earlier, 183 was talking about Siyam, which is fasting. Now in 185, Allah talks about Shahru Ramadan, the month of Ramadan. And here Allah didn't say that it was the month of fasting. Allah says, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an. It's the month in which the Qur'an was revealed. So it's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, associating Ramadan with Qur'an. What do we associate Ramadan with usually? Fasting, right? Allah didn't do that in this, in this section of this uh, selection of these ayat. He's connecting Ramadan with Qur'an, which means that Qur'an should be a, a big role in during this month. And, you know, I was just talking to uh, Sheikh Umar Suleiman about, like, whether we should focus on deep diving into the Qur'an during Ramadan or just doing, like, the khatman, the overall, like, cover-to-cover thing. And he, he was of the opinion that he, you'd rather have, like, a cover-to-cover, you know, flowing relationship with the Qur'an throughout this month. It's not the month for deep diving, right? Uh, because you want to expose yourself to as much as possible of the entire message of the Qur'an. Brush through it all. And of course, depending on your efforts, you could do it once throughout the entire month or even more than once. But it's healthy to... Because you don't want to spend the entire month doing tadabbur on one, uh, one surah or a couple of surahs and then you don't do the khatma, right? Because it's, it's an opportunity for you to brush over the entire Qur'an once, at least in this year, right? Um, yeah, so again, that's part of that flowing cover-to-cover, uh, cover, of course, uh, with translation. Uh, if you don't understand Arabic, it's very good yeah, and to go over it once, inshallah, and uh, just, subhanAllah, there will be barakah in it because you're, you're exposing yourself to the entire Qur'an with that intention. Inshallah, Allah will uh, bless that uh, effort of yours. So in this section, remember what I told you, each section ends with the objective of that section. What was the objective of siyam or fasting earlier? Taqwa, taqwa, right? Here, interestingly, Allah says, تشكرون, So that you may be grateful. And so, grateful for what? What's the topic about? It's about Quran. So by the end of Ramadan, we're supposed to actually have this feeling of gratitude towards this beautiful book of the Quran. Grateful for what though? What about the Quran is, is amazing. And so here, like what, another beautiful thing about the section is, the repetition of uh, a common theme. So Allah subhanahu wa says, this is the month in which the Quran was revealed and what is it? It is guidance, hudan linnas, guidance for all of humanity. Not just for Muslims, guidance for all of humanity. And then, وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِنَ الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانِ Again, the word huda comes up again. Guidance, again. And furqan means separation of truth from falsehood and, and right from wrong and clarity, right? And so Allah goes on and says, whoever witnesses the month from you, let him fast. And whoever was sick or traveling, then he has an excuse to make it up. I'm not going to get into the fiqh of this, these verses because I'm not a faqih and I'm not qualified. Uh, but Allah does say, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرِ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمْ الْعُسْرِ It's so beautiful. Allah says, Allah wants ease for you. He doesn't want difficulty for you. And he's saying this about the month of Ramadan. And this, again, is, is making our minds set to ease, right? Right from the beginning now. Allah is not telling us that fasting is supposed to be something difficult, that you know, I, I need you to struggle. No, it's supposed to be easy. So again, 
Ramadan is not, for many people, they have that impression that Ramadan is tough. Fasting is difficult and, you know, it's, uh, I need to read Quran every day. That's difficult. I need to go to Taraweeh. It's difficult. So we make things difficult on ourselves just by having those negative thoughts, that negative mindset. So Allah is setting the mindset here and saying, Allah wants ease for you. Yuridullahu bikumul yusra wa la yuridu bikumul usra. And he specifies, I do not want difficulty for you. You know? It's so it shows you the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It shows you the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it also explains to you that anything that we make difficult about deen, we're just bringing more and more difficulty upon us. It's because of our own ignorance. It's because of our own misinformation or missing information. Right? Allah clearly says that this month, which is supposed to be like the most active month in terms of your iman and relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So if Allah wants ease for you in Ramadan, what about the rest of the year? Of course He wants ease for you, right? So, you know, take it easy on yourself. Ramadan is not supposed to be a month of stress, a month of, you know, uh, straining yourself and burdening yourself with things that you're not enjoying but you're just doing because everybody else is doing it, right? Many people, like even, to, uh, this might sound controversial, many people like they exhaust themselves through taraweeh and they miss fajr right what's the bigger priority to get your fajr right so if, if you find it difficult to stay in taraweeh then skip it or pray a couple of rakah and leave yeah, it's not fard it's just something extra that you can do and it's great if you have the stamina but if you don't and everyone knows what's easy for them and what's difficult right so it's very relative What's easy for me can be difficult for you. What's easy for you can be difficult for me. So Allah here is like opening up the floor for us to be very, you know, selective and what's easy for us and do what's easy, what's comfortable for you. If it's difficult for you to do the khatma, fine. Don't make it difficult on yourself, right? Allah does not want difficulty for you. He wants ease for you. And then by the end, Allah says, وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ And so that you may so that Allah may become something like from Allahu Akbar, right? Allah is greater in your eyes than in your life towards the end of Ramadan. So that you may be grateful. So, Hidayah again repeated there. So Allah may become great. So that you may make Allah greater in your life as a result of the Hidayah that you got in this month. And so that at the end you may be grateful. So grateful for what? What I'm seeing here is grateful for guidance. We should be grateful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this book and this guidance that should make our life easy. And you see there's this recurring theme of guidance and ease. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but you know, guidance is just like the GPS on your, on your phones, right? The Google Maps that you use. What's the point of Google Maps? Google Maps makes our life easier. If... I chose a destination and Google Maps didn't help me reach my destination with, with ease, then I'm not going to use that guidance. It's pointless. It's not guidance if it's going to take me on the wrong track, right? And so another beautiful lesson here is anything that you find difficult about this deen, either you have misunderstood it or it's not from this deen. Because Allah clearly says guidance is supposed to be easy. And the, one of the objective guidance that makes your life easier. 
And so, you know, in the, in the Muslim world, we've made so many things difficult on ourselves in the name of Islam. So that could either be us misunderstanding what we're supposed to do, not doing it the, the way we're supposed to do it, or maybe it's not from deen, because Allah would never want difficulty for you. And guess what? Again, it's about mindset, right? If you believe that this deen is difficult, then guess what? It's going to be difficult for you, right? And I teach this from a, like a psychology and life coaching perspective. So many people, their lives change just by changing their mindset, right? Just by shifting from negative thoughts to positive thoughts, which we talked about, right? In Surah An-Nas, these negative thoughts are uh, things that attract more and more misery in our lives. So Hidayah is supposed to make, us, make our life easy and therefore we should be grateful. You see, it's like a formula. When you have guidance, it makes your life easy, you become grateful for it. If you claim to have guidance, but your life is difficult, are you going to be grateful? No. Right? And look at uh, most of the Muslims today. Are they grateful or are they always complaining? Are they always negative? Are they always, you know, negative thoughts and negative assumptions? And so it gives you a sign that where is guidance in our lives? And so this is the month of guidance. This is the month of, and your niyyah should be when you read the Quran, Ya Allah, I want to be guided this month. Show me. And guided for what? Guided for ease. Ya Allah, show me ease. Make my life easy. Solve my problems, Ya Allah. I want, I want my problems to be solved. And then the beautiful section about dua comes later on, 186. And when my slave, when my slaves, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي غَرِيبٌ When my slaves ask you about me, I am near, Allah says. Okay? Um, before going into the depth of this, this uh, section, again, ending with the same thing. The objective of dua is what? لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْشُدُونَ So that they may be put on the right track. Yarshudun means to be set straight, to be able to make the right choices. Okay? To, again, rushed is also the ability to see what's good for you, what's bad for you, and to make the right choice. And again, it's about ease of life, right? Making your life easy and comfortable. So, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَأَنِّي غَرِيبٌ Again, we could spend two hours on this ayah alone, but I just want to highlight some beautiful nuances. Number one, Allah is talking to the Prophet here. And He says, And when my slaves ask you about me, now what's the logical continuation of this statement. T Allah should have said, tell them I am near, right? Allah doesn't do that. Allah says, if my, Allah's talking to the Prophet he says, when my slaves ask you about me, Allah sidelines the Prophet and he talks to us directly and he says, I am near. I am verily near to you. فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ He doesn't even mention to the Prophet to tell us. So he's taking the Prophet out of the discussion here to highlight that when it comes to dua, I am near. And this is like this extra emphasis on his nearness to us. And again, by Allah being near to us, how, does that, how is that supposed to make us feel? Make us feel? This love and, and closeness of Allah and his mercy and his willingness to you know, give us hope that he is near. We don't need anybody in the middle. We don't need any wasta. We don't need any you know, people in the middle to ask Allah for anything. And then Allah says so beautifully, He says, Ujibu I answer the da'wah. Now, da'wah means one dua, right? One request. 
and the da'wa of al-da'i ujibu da'wata al-da'i now some very interesting uh, attention should be paid to the language here Allah says I answer the one call of the one who asks me so number one Allah says I don't answer Allah didn't say I answer the call of the muttaqeen I answer the call of the muslimin he says I answer the call of anyone who makes a call and he highlights the fact that ad-da'i he didn't say da'i any any da'i he said the the one who calls me I will answer him so he's not even he's not even emphasizing whether it's muslim non-muslim muttaqi non-muttaqi and he's not saying this person is making 10000 duas he says I answer the call of the one call the one dua da'wa means one ujibu da'wata da'i so here Allah is also highlighting that He knows you when you're making that dua. He's not busy with other bigger things. He hears our duas, he's near, and he's answering our dua, and he knows specifically who you are, and he's saying that that one dua is enough. And you know, in our tradition, we're taught that, you know, keep making dua, keep making dua for the same thing. But if you notice, in the sunnah of the Quran, the prophets, how many times did they make dua? It was once, right? Never did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention the fact that, you know, keep asking for the same thing over and over again. Because if you keep asking for the same thing over and over again, think about it. It's in a way you doubting the fact that it's already on its way. Right? So I'll give you an ex- a real life example. Let's say I needed some money from my friend, from my friends, desperately needed some money. I call, I have 10 friends, I call all nine and all of them say, sorry, we don't have the money. And I need to pay the money or otherwise tomorrow I'm going to jail. Okay, I need to pay off some debts. So this last friend I call, he says, you know what, Fahad, of course I can help you. Just come and show how much do you need. I tell him I need 5,000 dinars. Khalas, done. Come to me tomorrow, 8 o'clock in the morning, the check will be ready for you. Pick it up from the secretary. Don't worry about it. I'm your brother, I got your back. Relax. Now, when I made that one call to this brother and he gave me the comfort that it is, it's a done deal, how am I going to sleep that night? Am I going to be stressed out? Am I going to be worried? Am I going to call him again and ask him, by the way, I need your help, by the way, I need your help. Am I going to keep calling him? No, if he gave me assurance once, that's enough for me to be relaxed. And subhanAllah, even if he told me that, you know what, I can pay you back, I'll give you the money in three days. How will I spend the, the three days? Will I be anxious and stressed out? No, right? Why? Because khalas, it's done. It's, yani, he gave me the comfort that's on its way. So Allah here is telling us, Ujibu. I answer the call of the one who calls. But then there's this condition, Ida da'an, if he asks me. You know, so here Allah's kind of highlighting the attitude in which we should ask, right? When you ask, then have that you know, certainty that it's on its way. Will it come instantly from the sky? No. There's this, maybe there's this moment of patience, but trust that it's on its way. Exactly, peaceful. Khas, it's done. And this is what the sunnah of the Sahaba was also. Umar would say that I always would be concerned about making dua, not about the response. Because the response is already done. So by him, Getting the tawfiq of making du'a, that's actually the, that's the objective here. 
So Allah then, then continues to say, okay, fine, you're asking me, but what do I need from you also? Then why don't they also respond to my calls? Why don't they also, because Allah has asked us to do certain things. Why don't they also uh, respond to my calls? And then, why don't they believe that I can answer their du'as, right? So again, this idea of belief. Let them believe. Let them have, let them have this strong yaqeen, the strong belief that, of course, I can answer their prayers. So that I may make their life easy. So I make, may show them the easy path in their lives. And another beautiful thing in the language here is, if you notice, when it came to Allah answering our dua, He said, Ujibu. Okay? But when it came to Allah asking us to respond to Him, He said, فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُ لِي He didn't say, فَلْيُجِيبُ لِي There is this, فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُ This yes, what does it do? Allah is lightening our burdens. He's telling us, why don't you make a little bit of effort to answer some of my requests? So when it came to Allah answering our request, He's saying, I'm going to answer all your requests. When it came to you answering me, my request, just make some effort to answer some of my requests. You see how beautiful it is? Yeah. So let them just make a little bit of effort, let them believe in me so that they may be guided. And then 187, which is the last section here, is talking about, and I mentioned this in a previous talk, very strangely, what's a believer should do, should do at night. The nights of Ramadan should be spent doing what? And so here Allah talks about, and notice how big the section is. <laughs> right? Uh, three, four, five, six, seven lines talking about the intimacy between a husband and a wife during Ramadan. During the nights of Ramadan. Seven lines. Notice, dua was two lines. Right? Quran was, yeah, okay, so five lines. And then Siyam was two lines. But intimacy, big deal, yeah? Why? Because Allah says, what's the objective of this? Again. Subhanallah. Again, taqwa. What's, uh, the question now is, what does my intimacy with my spouse have to do with taqwa? In Ramadan, during the nights of Ramadan, and, you know, I don't want to get into too much details about the language, but there's a lot of detail, right? So Allah mentions different words to highlight the details of the intimacy. Arrafathu ila nisa'ikum. This word arrafath actually means to approach them, um, which is known as the foreplay, right? Before, basically, the act itself. So this, this idea of caressing and loving and uh, all the acts that are, you know, done prior to the actual relationship itself. Then he describes how they are our libas, we are their libas. You are, you are clothing to one another. He's describing literally the, the intimate act, basically, of you covering each other without, uh, you know, or, or representing the cloth, body onto body. And then he um, goes on and talks about, like, details of what you should be doing and the fact that if you're doing i'tikaf, then that's the only time where you should stay away from your women. But again, these are fiqh issues, which I don't want to get into, like, because I, like I said, I don't, I'm not qualified for that. But what's interesting is taqwa, being of the objective of this section also. Isn't it strange? Yeah. So how do we understand this? Let's do a, um, another interesting thing here is uh, this idea that before the ayah of fasting, Allah was talking about money. 
He was talking about money here. And then he talked about, remember the first section was, Siyam, what's the objective? Siyam, la'allakum tattaqoon. Second section was Quran, right? The month of Ramadan was the month of Quran, so that you may be grateful. The third section was Dua, so that you may be guided, right? Yarshudun, la'allahum yarshudun. The fourth section was about intimacy, so that you may have taqwa. So it's like the sandwich. And what's before and after money? So Allah is here is highlighting how, you know, taqwa is not just about you having a hijab on and you having a beard on and you you fast or praying five times a day and fasting Ramadan. No, it's an entire lifestyle change where it should be reflected in your relationship with the Quran. It should be reflected in your attitude towards Allah in terms of dua. It should be reflected in your relationship with your spouse and it should be reflected in your dealings with money. Because there's so many people today who they have corrupt dealings with money and uh, so they have you know, the face of, they may be praying five times a day, front row in the masjid, but corrupt in their dealings with money. They're cheating in business or earning halal, haram income. And so Allah here is highlighting the, the holistic objective of Ramadan. It's supposed to be a life transforming month. Not just, you know, fasting from Fajr to Maghrib. It's much, much more deeper than that. And it should impact our life in a more profound way. So since taqwa is a common theme, let's talk a little bit about taqwa because uh, that is, again, the objective of fasting. It's the objective of uh, intimacy also. And I mentioned this even previously, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Why intimacy though? Out of all the relationships we have, like Allah could have ended it with be good to your parents so that you may have taqwa. Or he could have said be good to your brother and sister so that you may have taqwa. Why the spouse? Why the spouse? And here, you know, realistically speaking, we understand that one of the most challenging things to do is to have that balance where you're having a healthy relationship with Allah, you're, you're doing your Quran, you're fasting, and you're doing all these things, and you're balancing it by keeping your spouse happy. And just she's someone who's, she or he, right? This applies, applies to both. You're spending most of your time... To, uh, and, and the house. Uh, so the Prophet said, خيركم خيركم The best of you are those who are best to their spouses. And I am the best of you to my spouse. Why did he say the best of you is the best to his spouse? Because it's easy to be nice to your colleagues at work for a short period of time. It's easy for you to be good with your friends for a couple of hours. It's easy for you to be good with your parents, right? If you meet them once a week. It's easy for you to be good to your brothers and sisters, but your spouse, with all the mood swings that happen and with all the you know, uh, pressure that's on her in terms of raising the children and, and for you to be able to uh, you know, tolerate her patience and for you to be accepting of her and being grateful of her and being able to manage this relationship, it's a, it's a big challenge. And many people today in the Muslim world are struggling in terms of having harmony in their you know, uh, marriage life. This is a reality. Okay? We sometimes get deceived by external things, right? but reality is in the homes. So if you really want to know who I am, you need to ask my wife. If we want to know who Brother Kazi is, we need to ask his wife. That's the best measure of who we are. Because it's easy to be nice in public. It's easy to be, it's easy to be nice on Facebook or YouTube. Super easy. 
I just have to be nice for an hour and khalas. Quote some Qur'ans, quote some hadith, and that's it. But who knows me deep down inside? It's the wife, right? And so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is highlighting that this is the month where you fix that relationship. Because that is the ultimate sign of taqwa. So it's, again, you see how Qur'an changes our perspective on priorities. Because what does society tell us we should be doing at night? Qiyamul layl, tahajjud, read Qur'an all night, right? Make dhikr, dua, right? And I'm not saying all of those things are bad. What I'm saying is, where is this entire passage, right? Seven lines. Where is this practically applied in our Ramadan? And why isn't it talked about? Okay? And so, a uh, big reminder for all of us. So, what is taqwa? Since taqwa was repeated uh, twice in this theme, and it's the objective of siyam. It's the objective of fasting. It's also the objective of that intimacy. So, what is taqwa? It's, like we said, protection primarily. Just like we protect things that are precious in our lives. So, it's highlighting, as if Allah is highlighting that I need you to be protective by the end of Ramadan. Be protective. Protective of what? When, you, when you're protective, you're protective of something that's precious to you. Right? Um, you're protective of your passwords when it comes to your laptops. You're protective of your security and safety of your homes and your shops. You're protective of your jewelry because this is precious for you. You're protective of your safety in, in the car and that's why your life is precious for you right? and your kids. You're protective of the newborn baby when it's born because it's precious. It's something that's um, you spent nine months basically you know, taking care of and now they're delicate. Even uh, countries are protective of the security of the nation and countries are protective of even external threats. Right? That's why billions of dollars are spent in security. Right? Because it's something very, very precious. So the question now is what is the most precious thing in our lives then? What is Allah, what is Allah asking us to protect then? Is it our jewelry? Is it our phones? Is it our homes? Is it our cars? What is it? So, Allahu Alam, it is that guidance that you've built throughout the month, right? That becomes something protective to you. It's that Quran, your relationship with the Quran. It's your closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's that relationship that you're building with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout this month. That is what Allah is saying and that resides in the heart, right? And that is what we can call Iman. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes a part of your life. You become attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every act of your day. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go back to sleep. Allah is on your mind. You're conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's another, like we said, meaning of taqwa, right? Being conscious, being aware that Allah is with you. That Allah is watching you. That Allah is going to be helping you. That Allah is there to you know, protect you. So this relationship that we build with Allah can be summarized in the word Iman, which means that peace and comfort in the heart. Because with Iman comes trust and security and tranquility. And what's the opposite of Iman? It's actually fear, khawf. When your heart is not at peace, when you're worried, when you're scared, when you're stressed, and that's what shaitan puts in our minds, right? But when you know Allah is with you, is there anything to fear? There's nothing to fear because He is with you, right? So that Iman is what gives you that sense of comfort. And that becomes something so precious to you. So it's really that state of being happy and at peace and comfortable is what's so precious for you. 
Everybody around you is there to give you negative energy and to spoil your mood and to, you know, create some drama in your life. But for you, your iman, that state of happiness and inner peace, that's the most precious thing because that's what connects you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the moment you taste that beauty, you don't want it to be gone, gone, right? And if you notice in Ramadan, what does happen? Doesn't this taqwa start building as we go along the month? So, you know, uh, you start off the month with taraweeh and Quran and fine, right? You're going through the uh, routine, change. But by the end of the Ramadan, the last 10 nights come. And when the last 10 nights come, then the khushu' level increases. And your attachment to the masjid becomes even more, more uh, strong and your connection with Allah becomes stronger. And that's why people get super excited in the last 10 nights and in search of Laylatul Qadr. And uh, you, you start hearing people crying in salah and having this really soft uh, spot in their heart for, for the recitation of the Quran, right? People become super soft in the last part of the month. So it's as if this cleansing process is happening throughout the month and then towards the end, now you've attained taqwa. Now you've, you've reached that level where you are happy with Allah in your life. You're happy with Allah in your life and you're happy with that iman in your heart. And so what does Allah say about the muttaqeen in the Quran? It's mentioned about 258 times. In Allah yuhibbul muttaqeen. Allah loves those who are protective. Three times he mentions this in the Quran. Allah is with those who are protective. Allah is with them. Because now they're protected, they're seeking protection from Allah, so Allah is guaranteeing protection. That's also mentioned three times. And Allah mentions, Wallahu waliyul muttaqeen. Allah is a protective friend of those who are muttaqeen. Now if you think about it, if you, if you attain taqwa, if you attain this attitude of being protective, you get these three things. You get the love of Allah, you get ma'iyyatullah, which means Allah being with you, and you get the, Allah's protective friendship. Now what more do we want in our lives? If you have Allah's love, if you have his, his nearness and closeness to you, and you have His protective friendship. Isn't this the ultimate uh, gift that anyone can have, right? And so that is what you are being protective of. That is what you are, that's why you're muttaqi, you're protecting that state of iman, that relationship you have built with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's so amazing how Allah starts off the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah with, you know, Alif Lam Mim, ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه هدى للمتقين. That book, i.e., the Quran, in it there is no doubt is guidance for who? For those who have taqwa. For those who are protective. For those who have that clean heart, that strong relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. They will appreciate this book. As for those who are indulged in their desires and sins and doubts, they won't be protective of that, right? Why? Because for them, they've not been taken care of. For them, Iman is not precious, right? For them, it's not a big deal to have Allah in your heart. For them, it's not a big deal. Quran is not a big deal. Dhikr is not a big deal for them. Salah is not a big deal. And so what are the consequences when you don't take care of something? It spoils, right? With time, it gets rotten. It, it catches uh, you know, rust and becomes something that's filthy. And that is really, wallahi, the state of the heart of someone who is far away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because they're simply 
you know, like this remote control that uh, Shaitan is controlling them and he's taking them left, right, and he's taking them all over the, you know, from one desire to another desire to another desire and he's just, the heart is being polluted and corrupted with these shahawat and these doubts in the mind. So there's corruption of the mind, there's corruption of the heart. So what does the Qur'an do? The Qur'an purifies. Throughout the month of Qur'an, you are purifying your mind and your heart and you're in the state of like, where your heart is completely clean now, right? So, what, so taqwa training, what is it meant by taqwa training? Your, your entire month, the you know, power of habit it's known as, right? How do you change habits? Very simple, do something repetitively for a number of days. In our case, it's 30 days or 29 days. Just repeat the same action and it becomes a habit. That's how the subconscious mind is programmed. So it's that easy. You want to start developing the habit of waking up for Fajr? Wake up for Fajr for 30 days and it'll become, you know, natural for you to do that. Your body clock will be adjusted. You want to, you know, get into the habit of reading Quran one page a day or one khatma day? Just do it regularly for 30 days and it becomes a habit. So Ramadan is the month of developing habits that you've always wanted. So Ramadan is supposed to be the month where we try to Live the, the ideal routine. For many people, what do we do in Ramadan? We, we mess up the routine, right? Which is not what we're supposed to do because you won't build that habit then or you might build the wrong habit, right? So the idea is build the right habit. Uh, build a good habit for eating and drinking also. It's supposed to be the month of also like nutritious detox, right? Eating less, you're cleansing the body. Um, and eating healthy, of course, right? Watching what you eat. And if you, do, and if you eat healthy for 30 days, guess what? You're going to lose weight. You're going to be more purer also. And you're going to be less likely to get sick. Um, like we said, purifying also training for the relationship between the spouse. This is the one-month training to fix your relationships. To develop that intimacy and romance and, and develop that uh, objective of, of the nights of Ramadan. And of course... Watching your eyes in terms of entertainment and access to, you know, shamelessness and all of that, you're supposed to, throughout Ramadan, get into the habit of not watching that stuff so that you can purify your heart because the hearts are connected to the eyes, right? Whatever you, your eyes see directly pollutes the heart. And of course, uh, the sins of the hand, the sins of the tongue, a big one, the sins of the tongue. The month of Ramadan is a month of being quiet, being you know, careful of riba and namima, backbiting, insulting, mockery, lying, uh, and, and talking good, right? Saying good things. Good, sweet things come out of your mouth, right? Of course, watching where you're going, what kind of things you listen to, and of course, purification of the mind in terms of Quranic guidance throughout the entire month, right? To remove those doubts. So you come out of the month with a nice, pure heart. And when that heart is pure, and it took you a lot of effort, right? Just like the deck of cards. It takes so much effort to place everything down. But what can happen to Iman? It can go like that, right? With one mistake, you messed up your entire Ramadan. If you start partying in Eid, first day of Eid, your entire one-month effort is basically gone down the drain. And that happens for so many people, right? So what, what, now we understand why taqwa is the objective of Ramadan. Because if we build that you know, idea that iman is precious to me, this guidance is precious to me, 
then I'll be super careful with my actions after Ramadan. Just like this deck of cards. I won't, I won't slip even you know, the slightest bit because I want to keep this Iman. Does this mean we won't make any sins after Ramadan? Absolutely not. But part of taqwa is repenting and coming back, coming back on track, and not being heedless, not being forgetful, right? not indulging in your temptations. Yes, you may have a slip here and there, but taqwa will get you back. Okay? So it's just like that you just, you just had a nice, uh, you washed your shirt, it's nice and clean. You get a small stain, what do you do immediately? You wipe it up. But if the shirt is filled with stains, are you going to be concerned about that extra stain or that extra ketchup that gets in your... No. Why? Because... And this resembles the heart. The cleaner the heart, the more sensitive we get to the small sins we commit. But the more sins we commit and the more we get indulged in, in, in desires and temptations and we forget Allah, then what happens? Our heart becomes so corrupted that any extra sins that you do, you don't feel sensitive about. You don't become sensitive to it. It becomes adi for you to do whatever, right? So you spend an entire month cleansing your heart and then you become protective. You have this taqwa. You become protective of that iman. And the slightest sin that you commit, you repent. And you keep it clean for uh, the remaining 11 months. That's really what it's supposed to, to, do, to do to us. So in summary, right, um, Notice how fasting and the ayat of Ramadan are touching all aspects of our lives. Like we said, money, uh, the idea of fasting, not just with our food and drink, but also our actions. The relationship with the Qur'an. We're supposed to be grateful for the Qur'an in this month. So, if, so basically, if you finish Ramadan and you're not appreciating the Qur'an more, then we've not achieved the objective of Ramadan. Right? So that should be a goal. From now on, Like set this mind that I want to have a higher appreciation of the Qur'an this month. And make dua that Allah, give me that appreciation, right? Show me that guidance so I can be appreciative. And of course, dua, this is the month of dua, it's the month of asking for what you want in the next 11 months, right? With full certainty and yaqeen. And um, of course, like we said, developing the relationship with the spouse. And of course, watching how you deal with money, because that's really... Uh, the beginning and the end of this whole discussion. Now, for many people, you know, this may sound like it's a bit difficult. And remember, Allah said, I want ease for you. Okay. So many people come up to me and say, you know what, Brother Fahad, you know, managing all these different roles is difficult for me. Right? I've got to take care of my health and spirituality and intellect and family and wife and kids and parents and community and work and, and social life. It's how can you say Allah wants ease for you? Whereas Practically, it's difficult, it's stressful, and I can't do it. And I, I keep falling, I keep making mistakes, and it's, it's just like juggling eight balls simultaneously, right? Eventually, some balls will fall, fall down. And so this is unfortunately like uh, um, an approach that many people take, which is, which, uh, you know, is disastrous. Because number one, you're putting stress on yourself, you are the center of your life, and everything is surrounding you. You're trying to manage different roles. You're trying to play the role of Superman, basically. And it's not going to work, right? Uh, the other problem with this is spirituality is only a compartment of your life. Okay? And there's a flaw with that. 
because that is not how we see our deen as. Maybe in the West they see spirituality as a compartment, but for, for us as Muslims, spirituality is much, much more than that. And the third thing about this, this model, the third problem with this model is you are the center of your life, which means you know, indirectly you become self-centered. It becomes all about you, my work, my family, my social project, my friends, my intellect. You notice? There's a subtle shaitani arrogance that's coming in our lives now because it's all about me now and everything around me. And so uh, the model I teach my uh, students is this model where life becomes much, much easier and simpler. Because in that previous model, I had to juggle eight different roles. And here, I made, number one, Allah the center of my life. So he's no longer just a compartment. He is the center of my life. So what did I do to ego? Gone, right? You're humble now because it's not about you. It's about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, what's so easy about this? Is the fact that you're not, you're not managing eight roles now. You're managing only, how many roles? One role. The role of Abdullah. Allah is your Rabb, He's your caretaker. And you are His Abd. You submit to Him entirely. And Wallahu A'lam, I believe this is actually how Tawheed should be taught to our kids. True monotheism, where you make Allah and only Allah the center of your life. And everything you do becomes ibadah. You going to work becomes ibadah. You going to the gym becomes ibadah. You spending time with family becomes ibadah. You going out on a candlelight dinner with your spouse becomes ibadah. Your you know, social uh, work becomes ibadah. Everything becomes ibadah. And so that is what taqwa is, where khalas, it's about Allah being in your life and you just focus on that one single role. And if you think about all the prophets, did they preach you know, how to be good to your, be good to your parents and... Uh, be good to your wife and manage your money. And what did they preach? They just preached this one simple message, right? Abdullah. Make Allah the center of your life, and everything else will fall into place. And so, you see how sometimes we make things complicated, whereas Allah wants ease for us, right? And so, coming back to that model, right? In this selection, your money becomes ibadah. How you earn and how you spend your money becomes ibadah. Of course, fasting becomes ibadah. Your intention to have this guidance and, and have this feeling of gratitude becomes ibadah with the Quran. Your dua is an act of ibadah. Your, your intimacy with the spouses becomes ibadah and everything becomes ibadah and it becomes easy. Because you have one focus. Focus on being Abdullah. He is the Rabb, he is the caretaker and you are his follower or slave, right? And as so long as you take him as your caretaker, he takes care of everything for you, right? And the moment you try to be Superman, guess what? More and more struggle comes in your life. And why are most people struggling in life? Because they're trying to be like Superman, really. Why are most sisters struggling in life? They try to be like Superwoman. Try to handle too many things at, at a time. This causes stress, anxiety, pressure, you know, and you end up falling apart. And many people fall into depression and, and drama happens. But when you make Allah the center of your life, everything becomes easy. So that's really what I, I feel 
Taqwa is about, right? And Ramadan, what is it about? It's about making Allah the center of our life towards the end of Ramadan. It's about when Allah is in the center of your life, life becomes easy, it becomes peaceful, you become happy, you have this iman in your heart, you're extremely close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then you become protective of this for the rest of the remaining 11 months because that's the most precious thing in your life. So I hope this was a good reminder for myself and everybody here. Jazakumullah khairan. And may Allah, inshallah, bring Ramadan with khair and its blessings for all of us and uh, guide us all to benefit from all of its blessings. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Any questions anyone has about Ramadan? All khair? Inshallah. Jazakumullah khair, inshallah.